everybody, welcome to Day Clubbing, all about the ins and outs, the comings and goings at Center Club in Boston, Massachusetts. My name is Ken. I'm your host. Jay is my co-host. Hello, Jay. We have a very special guest today. I will say that uh, we've got a lot of construction going around us, so please avoid, just please, just ignore the the construction behind us. There's a, a giant tower uh, going up as we speak. So, uh, one of our, our members, uh, Robert, is here. Hello, Robert. Hello. We are very excited to have Robert. Robert, I've met Robert because he, uh, he's been very helpful to me because, uh, you know, a couple days a week, I make lunch for the, for the clubhouse. And uh, Robert o- often comes and joins me and helps out. And I, by the way, I always appreciate that, Robert. Oh, you're welcome. It's a lot of fun. It's, uh, it's always a challenge because every time I do it, it's something that I've never done before. I've never cooked whatever it is for 30 people before, so it's always, it's always a new adventure, new culinary adventure. Um, <clears throat> so Robert and I got to talking. And I found out an interesting fact about, well, I found a couple of interesting facts about Robert, but one of the things that I wanted to talk about today is that uh, Robert is a, a basically a lifelong Buddhist. Yes, uh, I joined in 1975. Right. In April, um, I was working at a McDonald's restaurant. It just happened that day, I, I had worked for the McDonald's restaurant one year as an employee, and I wanted to go out and celebrate but I had to work that night, so two interesting guests were in the lobby coming up to the register where I was. And I wondered, um, they looked kind of strange, they were American, but um, there's something awful bright about them. Yep. So I, I says, I, can I help you please? And he says, um, well, could we have a large french fry? Um, I, we understand you have a special on french fries. I says, yes, that's if... You buy, then I caught myself. I thought, well, if I give them a French fry, large French fry out of my pocket, they would come as customers. So I bought them a large French fry, and they thanked me very much. And then they told me about the Buddhism they were into, Nichiren yeah. Buddhism, and um, about true Buddhism. And I said, well, um, I take pictures in my spare time, and um, I'm taking five photography courses. And do you have a newspaper I could take pictures for? And they opened right up. They, yeah. um, they were very, very great, grateful. And they says yes. And they gave me a phone number and a name for a Buddhist meeting. So I went on the Buddhist meeting within a week. And I practiced um, for, for the first two years. I chanted Nam Myoho Renge-hyo, the mantra in the Lotus Sutra, and did activities and did their... Um, Photography for New England for Buddhists for that for that group for two years and I got a lot out of it. Yeah. You know? So so if I understand this, so so you're working at McDonald's. Yes. These people just randomly come in. Yes. And then and they asked for French fries but didn't have the money for the French fries. Didn't have the money. And you knew that they didn't have the money for the French fries? I had feeling because they says I understand it's a special for free French fries. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which I mean, what is there a special for free French fries? That's not the kind of world we live in. So uh, it's it's um, fortuitous that you are a giving person. Yeah. Because most of us, <coughs> certainly Jay and I, wouldn't be giving away free French fries. So speak for yourself. Uh, okay, you might, you you might, you might. Do you imagine that you? If this? I have the money, I'll, I'll gladly help somebody out. 
Well, if you're working at McDonald's, you probably don't have the money to help somebody else out. That's the just because you're working at McDonald's doesn't mean you don't have the money. Well, I mean, you're not making a whole lot of money if you're working at McDonald's, right? That I mean, doesn't I, mean you don't have money. That's true. That's true. So anyway, it was my first full-time job, and I was kind of uh, celebrating because it was yeah. one year. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and okay, so you went to a Buddhist meeting. Now, did you have any? Now, like Jay, if you I know that you know about Buddhism, but if you were in this situation, and they're like, hey, you want to come to a Buddhist meeting, what would your reaction be? I'd check it out. Yeah. Well, you'd go. You'd, I wouldn't uh, probably convert, but yeah. I'd check it out. I mean, I've checked out Mormonism. I've checked out... Um, so you've been open. Oh, uh, Jehovah Witnesses yeah. things. So I've checked the, the so, things out, so but it yeah, does, been, doesn't mean I'm going to be right. converted to a different religion. Sure, but you've been, you've been open to that kind of stuff. You've been open to checking yeah. it out at least. Okay. Because everywhere, you, every all religions are pretty much the same. They just they teach different things, but they're pretty much the same. And all you have to do is open yourself up. I mean, just, you don't have to be have a certain religion to be to be open no, to a different right. religion. You're absolutely right. Because we're all the same. We're just one big family. So let me ask you this, Robert. What did you know about Buddhism before you went? To um, first I had studied Zen Buddhism in high school. Oh, you school, had? Okay. In prep school. Yeah. And I had taken yoga classes. Okay. In Harvard Square on on the weekday, uh, two weekdays a week. Um it was about one for about an hour and a half. Yeah. In the evening, I think it was about right after dinner, about six o'clock. So you had some inkling of what Buddhism was all about, obviously. I had an idea, yeah. Because also, if you remember, in the this was in 1975, mid 70s, there was a lot of um, sort of like culty things happening. You know. Yeah. Um, the yeah. Hare Krishnas, the Moonies, and all that kind of stuff. The 1970s, yeah. Right. So there it's were. All, there's always a lot of cults around. There's probably a lot of cults around right now. Oh, and we just don't know too, mu- too I, much right now I'm, about it. I'm sure, but in 1975, there were like a lot of people in robes on the corner. You it know. opened. Oh. It opened. Yeah, yeah. It was very. You know, everybody was trying things out. You know. Yeah. So, uh, so, so you were open to it. You went to the Buddhist meeting. What happens at a Buddhist meeting? What do you do? Uh, well, uh, they sort of they chant. Yeah. Uh, they chant Nam Myoho Yeah. And they chant parts of the Lotus Sutra, Myoho Ringyesho, Hoban Pandaini, Niji Seisan Du Sanma. It goes on for about fifteen minutes. Yeah. And then, um, then they chant the Dhammaku, the Nam Myoho Ringyesho. I guess it goes about twenty minutes. Then they have a meeting where they introduce members and their experiences. Yeah. It's kind of different. It's a little bit like um, Jehovah Witness or Born Again Christian where they give their experience yeah. of how the religion had helped them um, and how they gained fortune or protection or some kind of um, realization or something. Yeah. Um, enlightenment, some kind of enlightenment, some part of their life become enlightened. And then there's um, reports um, of district activities or chapter activities. It's divided into districts. Yeah, okay. And, cha- and divisions. And, um, and there's songs, and usually the songs. And then there's... Um, uh, a lecture, like a lecture, um, it kind of reacts, or lecture kind of reacts, though. It's not just a straight lecture, where there's question and answers. Yeah. 
And there's a newspaper, the World Tribune, and um, a magazine, the uh, Living Buddha. That used then it was the Psycho Times back in the seventies. Yeah. Now, if you could, um, if you could just kind of give a sort of thumbnail sketch of what the philosophy of Buddhism is, what would it be? What's- well, it's based on uh, this. Buddhism is based on cause and effect. It's believed to be the higher Buddhism, where um, where um, they don't get into like starvation and begging. Yep. And um, it's more modern where there's a daily life and people work and go to school and have families. Unlike, unlike the um, old Buddhism or Hinayana Buddhism, old Buddhism uh, practiced 2,000 years ago where um, people kind of went off and um, separated the society. This kind of Buddhism is more integrated in society. Yeah. In the belief that life is integral, that one part of life depends on another part of life. So, w- w- did you feel like right away you go to your first meeting? Do you feel like okay, I I found my my people? Like, I, did you feel accepted right away? I felt involved and accepted yeah, right okay. away. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, the funny thing is, <clears throat> I noticed the second meeting. He says, he says, "Well, did, are you going to pay for the World Tribune?" As I already have. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So, I did the first meeting. Yeah, yeah. Money in the first meeting. Right. So, obviously, it worked for you. I, I wonder. Here's my question: Is is there a certain kind of person? I mean, maybe they saw in you when they were buying their French fries that you would be you would make a good Buddhist. Well, they're looking for a winner. <laughs> so I don't know when, but um, it's, it's open to anyone. Yeah. Um, it's a Buddhism made, for, it's a religion made for anyone. That right. Anyone can practice. Okay. Now, uh, I've never been approached by a Buddhist. I don't know. Jay, have you ever been approached by a Buddhist? No. So we may not be prime Buddhist material. So what do you think what kind of uh, personality do you think it, it, well, it takes it's an openness yeah. it's openness to learn yeah. Buddhism and learn to practice it and learn to do activities yeah uh, that have time that, just openness yeah yeah okay now one of the big tenets of I would love to maybe to learn some Buddhism I mean like I said I'm open to all religions well me too and, and, and I think that um, Buddhism is one that has always fascinated me because it seems to be one of the least judgmental of practices. Now, maybe that, that might not be accurate. No, but they're not judgmental. They're not um, humanistic. Yeah. Empathetic. Yeah, yeah. They're honest. Very honest. Um, like, you won't see too much members borrowing money from each other. It's yeah. kind of a hidden rule. Yeah. It's not said too much. They really don't borrow and lend too much. Yeah. How is it, how is the, how is it a temple that you go to? Is that what, they, what it's called? Well, it's a community center. It's a community center, okay. Uh, the temple is another place. It's okay. In, in, in Massachusetts, it's in um, Weymouth, I believe, this yeah. temple. Uh, Nichiren Temple, Nichiren Shoshu Temple. So, so Buddhists, are in a, in a, on a, like a weekly basis, you're meeting, but you're not meeting, there's no church. Well, there is a practice, um, a morning and evening practice. Yep. Um, the Nichiren Buddhists practice as best they can. It's like an objective. He chant morning and evening Ganyo. Yeah. The Namihongekyo and Lotus Sutra, morning and evening. Yeah. And um, there is um, contribution, yearly contribution. There's monthly contribution, but primarily there's yearly contribution. There's contribution to the newspaper and magazine also. Yeah, okay. 
now, one of the big parts of Buddhism that everybody knows is is chanting. Yes. So, first of all, why? Why are we why are we chanting? Well, um, the rhythm of Nam Myoho chanting it. Yeah. Fuses one's life with the um, the rhythm of the universe, or the wow, sound okay. of the universe, the sound that's in common with the entire universe, the, the rhythm that perpetuates the universe, that um, causes it to stay in harmony with each other. Yeah, har- a harmonious rhythm that um, that governs governs life. Uh, while practicing the law of cause and effect. Like for a good cause, you receive a good effect. For a bad cause, you receive a bad effect. Yeah. Now, um, chanting is is a form of meditation? It's a verbal form of meditation. Okay, all right. A verbal mantra. So it seems like meditation, and we've talked, Jay, we've talked about meditation before. Um, It takes, for, for me at least, an enormous amount of practice, Right. So, were you able to pick that up right away? Or? I picked it up right away. Okay. Um, the book, I think you can master it about a month. Yeah. Well, you can just um, go to meetings and even bring a book and just chant. But it's better to follow the book because the pronunciation is a bit difficult. Yeah. Because the pronunciation for this book is in Japanese. The reason is because Japanese language is more rhythmical. Yeah. And it's easier to... Um, it's just easier to receive receive enlightenment through the through that rhythm. Yeah, it was originally taught in India by Sakamuni Buddha or Gautama Buddha or Kutama, as some people pronounce it, the name, um, and it was transmitted through priests through the ages to China, then to Japan, then from Japan to the to the entire. Um, wow. Entire world. Okay. Now, so there's different. Uh, Namo Renge Kyo is the one that yes everybody knows, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's kind of like the mainstream one. But there's others, right? Or is that? Or well, is there there's other them? Buddhism. There's other sects of Buddhism. Okay. In Japan, there's thirty thousand sects of Buddhism. Okay. And is it different chanting for each one, or is it? Uh, it's the same basic Lotus Sutra, but they use different parts. Okay. All right. Now. The important, I guess, the important thing is, what has it, what has it done for you? What, what, how have you grown well, through your? If uh, I didn't chant, yeah, um, I, I don't think I'd be secure. Okay. I don't think I'd be secure. I don't think I would have as much college. Yeah. Um, I don't think I would be as happy. Okay. All right. So, um, how does it? What, how do, I don't understand how the manifestation of, of chanting creates happiness for you, though. How does that work? Um, well, the philosophy is, is power-packed. It's very optimistic. Uh, <clears throat> in it, there's a saying, never give up. Yep. Um, never give up spirit. Yep. I think there's plenty of reasons to give up, though. <laughs> right? I mean, there's plenty of times. No. No? No. Well, please Giving- never give up. Giving up is something that just never be done, and it's a weakness uh, that needs <laughs> wow. that needs to be uh, eradicated from a yeah. person's bo- from a person's mind. Well, this is this is a wrestler, of course. So 
a wrestler is going to have a certain philosophy that's going to be a little bit more aggressive, I think, than a Buddhist. But I think that there's something to be said about like, well, this isn't working. I should, I should give up. The difference between um, not wanting to do something anymore and if you don't want to do anything, do something anymore, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. But giving up to saying, I, oh, I give up because because I'm not feeling well or yeah. because of anything. Yeah, yeah. It's never a good thing. It's it just weakness that it needs to be eradicated. Wow. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're probably right. Yeah. I, I personally love quitting things. So, you know, uh, but you're, I'm sure you're right. On top of the, um, the practice, the basic practice and the meetings and philosophies, it is a cultural event. Yeah. It is a cultural uh, movement right. where they have um, dancing and um, dances, uh, performances which are uh, choreographed, yep. and there's music, um, their own songs, um, and it's very exciting. It, all, it, so, it does sound lovely. So uh, what if somebody wants to try it out uh, themselves? What do they do? Um, you no longer work at McDonald's, so that we can't we can't go there <laughs> to, to to meet up with you. So where do we? Where, where do you go? Well, there's a website on the internet. Yep. Called um, um, Nichiren Choshu, Nichiren excuse me, Nichiren Buddhism. Mm -hmm. N i c h i r e n Buddhism is also under the title. SGI-USA, either SGI-USA yep. or NichirenBuddhism.com on the internet. So go to those either of those websites and they'll give you the information that you That's you need. a web address that brings you to the same website. Yeah, okay. And uh, it will show you where you can attend a meeting and that kind of thing. Um, yes, if you search it, it'll okay. show you how to get to the meeting, yes. Well, uh I, I would say if you are if you haven't found whatever it is that you're looking for yet, this might be a, a good place to to go. It's a good source to make meet good people too. That's the other thing too, because um, I you know I have a I have a good friend who's a, a, a Buddhist and 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 I I I think that um, she has met most of her social circle um, at Buddhist meetings. So I, I think it's an excellent place to to meet people and um, and really to gain some insight into your into your own self. Yeah, uh, life in yourself. I, I'm sure that you've learned a lot about Robert by uh, through Buddhism. Yes, with the analogy, with the comparison, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, we also talked about your illustrious career in photography. Well, it wasn't really illustrious career because nowadays most people take pictures with their Android. It, it, exactly. <laughs> so it's funny because, I mean, photography used to be you, you know, not just an art form, but uh, just a, a kind of a difficult thing to master. In the 30s, it was a big thing. 1930s, everyone wanted to be a photographer. Right. And, uh, you know, I've, I've written for magazines for a lot of years, and um, I used to travel with photographers. And photographers, they were like kind of gods because, you know, uh, you know I, I would interview bands. And they wanted to get uh, photographed because they wanted to look cool. They didn't want to actually talk to me. So uh, they loved the photographers. The photographer got paid three times as much as the writer. Oh. So it was always, photography has always been to me this kind of glamorous uh, activity uh, and occupation. 
It's changed a lot, though. You're right, because now, you know, I, I you know, Jay can take a picture, uh, Lynn can take a picture with their phones, and it'll be a fantastic-looking picture. And it, we can put filters on it. You can put filters on it. So all the tricks that you uh, could do before that people would pay good money for, people can just do it on their phones. So photography has changed a lot, obviously. Yes. But uh, in you, when you were doing it in the seventies, obviously this was uh, this was pre-digital. They they said something. The computers are going to take over. Yeah. And you're not going to have a job as a photographer anyway. Right. So I really didn't plan on being a photographer, a professional <laughs> photographer. And I thought there's going to be like computerized cameras and everything. Yeah. To do everything. And so I. I Actually, I, photography um, is still professional photography yeah. is really big still. Um, if you know how to do it and know how to do, do it right, uh, and you want a professional p- pictures, yeah, that kind of still pays a pretty good. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, that is absolutely true. I would say that the jobs are, are more scarce now um, than scarce, they used to be. Scarce, but it still pays pretty good. Yeah, pretty good because I know that because I have uh, we have a, at wrestling a really good photographer. Yeah, who does regular photography, but it uh, he also does wrestling photography. Yeah, and uh, he does a great job. I don't think he pay he makes people pay for too too much, yeah. and he always does films too. And anytime he wants to check out uh, Dante Luna, he's like I said, one of the best, uh, one of the best photographers out there. And he's probably doing uh, digital photography, right? He does so, that, yeah. and he does, like I said, videos too. Yeah. So he's pretty good, and he goes everywhere. He was just at, um, in fact, in um, the Celt- Celtics uh, on TV. Wow. So um, when you were. So obviously in 1975 you were you were you had a dark room somewhere. Yeah, I had a dark room in my closet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, everyone had, I knew had a dark room in the closet. Right. So uh, that that made things a lot kind of more difficult to do, you know. Yeah. <laughs> because you needed you needed a dark room in order to to print your photos and all that kind of stuff. So dark yeah, room. it's different, a little different now, but it's uh, a really good. Like I said, it's still pretty good out yeah. there yeah yeah i would wish i could take some uh some um nice fo- photographies yeah so did you did you mostly do journalistic <laughs> kind of photographs all journalistic all journalistic all journalistic. so you'd be out there in the field yeah i'd be out there taking pictures for someone someone's article yeah okay now uh, tell us about some of the exciting places you've been I just Boston. Just Boston, but you've done, oh, like fires or, you know, what um, kind of... just newspaper. Yeah, okay. The World Tribune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff takes, is also really good, important in now. What well, on the newspaper and on, uh, on the newspapers on the computer now. Yeah, well, it's it got... Just stuff like that. It's it has to still be, good, good money and everything. It has to be pretty exciting to... Take a photo and then see your photo in a paper. Yes, that's, I always that's pretty wondered cool. whether to get into movies yeah. or stick to stills. Always came to the conclusion to stick to stills because they're cheaper. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I yeah. suggest doing a mixture of both. Did you ever? Um, you ever utilize a studio? Did you ever? Um, I use a studio at um, the Benjamin Franklin um, Institute. I studied industrial photography there. Yeah. I used their studio and took some pictures. I used their dark room. I mostly use dark rooms and studios. Yeah. 
uh, developing my own prints. I, I go out and take pictures of landscapes and uh, buildings. What kind of stuff do you like? What's the what, what, what's the most fun for you to take photographs? Well, of? I like to take pictures of animals. I like yeah. take pictures of people. Yeah. I like to take pictures of, of animals that look like people. <laughs> and poses that look like people pictures of people yeah um, animals are tougher than people because you can't tell an animal to, to pose a certain way they're gonna, just going to do whatever they're going to do yeah, the Boston Marathon was fun to take pictures oh alright you just did the Boston Marathon yeah. yeah we were talking about that last week so obviously um, it's kind of diff- it's difficult to be at the finish line right yeah the finish line because there's crowds on both sides right you have a very narrow view straight ahead yeah and then they just flash by, right. and you never get get them in your um, in in your view. So where did you go? Where did you set up? For- I, I set up down by Kent Street and Beacon Street in Brookline. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so you're in Brookline, uh-huh. which in was Brooklyn. how far away from the finish line? Um, I guess uh, four miles. Four miles. Okay. D- uh, did you go? Did you watch the? Uh- no. No. I'm not into Boston Marathon like I told you. Okay. So there you were, four miles, and you're watching people that you know. At this point, it's do or die, right? I mean, like, really, yeah. People are burnt to a crisp at I this point. I was surprised they they looked um, they looked alert. Really, they looked I would alert. not look alert. Uh, four miles from the I finish line. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, uh, but did you get some good photographs? I got some good photographs. Yeah. The only thing is, I didn't pan. Yeah. I didn't think of panning. Yeah. I took the pictures all at once. I didn't think of panning. So the crowd is is really good focus. Yeah. But the runners are out of focus. Just yeah. a little bit out of focus. So they show, they look like they're in motion. So that looks good. Uh, well, it's artistic. It sounds, it sounds good to me. Artistic. Now, um, if people wanted to take uh, photographs of their own would you just say well just you can just do it with your camera or uh, with your phone or would you suggest somebody get a camera and try it out well if you're looking for high quality photographs that you can manipulate yep. the picture it's better to use a um, professional camera or yeah. a good yeah, camera yeah. A yeah expensive camera if you're just taking snapshots it's better just to use um, Android I got a I have a couple at home um, because you know when the pandemic started, I had a TV show, and then the pandemic started, and obviously we couldn't we couldn't shoot anywhere. The, st- the station was closed down, so I was like, "All right, we'll continue shooting in my backyard," uh-huh. which meant I had to learn how to use a camera. So I went and took a camera course, so I could figure out how to use a digital camera. Jay, you wouldn't believe all the things that are involved. There's three things involved. There's an aperture. Right, yeah, which is how how big the hole is that the light goes through. Shutter speed, film then the shutter speed, then the film speed, and then it's film speed. So those are three things. And the focus, and the fo- and so you have to do the math for every picture or every video you take. You have to do this math. Unless you get a digital automatic camera that costs three fifty, you can do that. Yeah, and then you can do that. So I I you know I I tried to go. I did. I, I took the class and I figured out all that stuff. It's kind of out of my head now. But um, so there is a lot. There's math involved in taking good photographs. Yes, there is. Yeah, exactly, Jay. Because you have to figure out what those three things are before you take a good photo. No, I, I'm just saying yeesh because uh, math. I, I just I know I exactly. Don't like. Can you imagine 
<laughs> Can you imagine having to do math before you take a picture? But that's what's going on with professional photographers. Yeah, if you want to take a picture like magazines yeah. and books yeah. and newspapers, and it's good to have a regular expensive camera. Yeah. And after a while, you kind of fig- you can just figure in your head what you need to do as far as aperture and, and shutter speed and all that kind of thing. Or use an automatic camera. Or use an automatic focus, camera. Automatic exposure. I'm assuming you don't do any of that. You're not auto anything. Well, I have an old camera. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Old digital camera. So uh, what are you going to do with your um, with your, your marathon photos? Um, I've already donated them to the Pulse Beat newspaper. Oh, wow, okay. Awesome. Newspaper with an article. I put a, a good technical article in there. Okay, so you wrote about your experience at the at the marathon. I wrote about the marathon, yes. Yeah, okay. Can't wait to read it. Yeah, me either. Um, what, do you, what do you think about marathons in general? Marathons? Yeah. A very healthy idea. I... <laughs> It's a, it's a fantastically healthy idea. Not one that I would ever do. <laughs> it's not that healthy because it wears your and wears your um, your body down. But it's uh, nice to to do once or twice in your life. Once or twice in your life. I think that the um, the conditioning to get into that shape, I think, is probably good for you. I don't. It's probably not good for you to run twenty six miles, but it's probably good for you to practice. Uh, running 26 miles. I think the healthiest do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think you're, you you know you're in pretty good shape if you can pull something like that off. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, like, it, it's one of those journeys that a lot of people go on where, like, I can't, there's no way that I could ever do this. And then you find yourself doing a little more and a little more and, you know. So you've never attempted one yourself? Uh, only small marathons, a uh, uh, mile and a half, two miles. Yeah. As a kid. Yeah. Uh, uh, they call it long distance, but it's not very long. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's really not. Like a, a 5K is what they call them now, right? So it's mm. three and a half miles. Can you do a 5K, Jay? I told you I did, did one. Oh, that's right. You did. Yeah. I remember. I uh, I did one as well. I did, a, I think may I, I might have done two 5Ks in my life. Uh-huh. And they were, they were tough. But I think with a little practice, I could I could do it. I can, yeah, I can do a marathon. You could, if you um, if you repeatedly attempted it, I'm sure you. Could. Yeah, yeah. So, do you know who won the the marathon? I don't even know who won it. Kenya, Kenya. Oh, it's uh, somebody from Kenya. Kenya, Kenya, and the disabled was run was won by United States, United States. Okay, all right. The men's, the women's was run by Kenya, and um, the women disabled, I. I think it was the United States. I'm not sure. Maybe it was Great Britain. I'm not sure. Wow. So uh, before we go, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, how long you've you've been at the club and what the cl- what life has been like for you at the club. Oh, I didn't expect that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I first joined the club in 1983. Wow. Wow. After <laughs> a short homelessness. Yeah. Which I was in, um, I was actually in hospice. Okay. But I caught homelessness, and I discovered Center Club through Mass Mental and Pine Street Inn. They were both suggested that I do that next. Yeah. So I went there and I asked Mary Gregorio, who's still the director. <laughs> That's the crazy thing is that people go back 20, 30, 40 years, and, and Mary's, and Mary's Mar- still there. Mary's, Mary's still there. She's Everyone still- else has changed, but Mary's still there. It's incredible. <laughs> and I asked it's her. Just, it's really incredible. And I asked her for employment. I asked for a job. She looked at me yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> 
She said, yes, I become a member. So I became a member. Wow. Okay. All right. And uh, so obviously you and Mary go back a long ways. Yes. I think it's 30. Let me see. 30. That was 19. Uh, two, oh, it's almost 40 years. Yeah, it's almost 40 years yep. now. Yeah. yeah. So uh, where was it? It wasn't here, right? No, this is on Boylston Street in yeah. Boston. Okay. Uh, at the YMCU. Yeah. Uh, I think it's the third floor. And um, it was, I joined it and um, I, I worked as a, volunt- as a cook at night. Yeah. But I didn't pay, it was volunteering. Yeah. Um, situation so i cooked um in the 90s uh from 98 to through the 90s um dinner then lunch then i switched to breakfast wow millennium so you were that whole time you were you were doing the same thing you're working in the kitchen i was working in the kitchen as far as center club and i held jobs like cook jobs or clerk jobs yeah yeah yeah. odd jobs beside that so um was the setup uh, the the same as it is as it is here basically? No, no. Um, there's um, depart- there's units now. Yeah. Um, like membership service, um, employment unit, unit housing unit. Um, let me see. So back in the eighties, was it just more of a social club? Or? It was all membership service. Okay. Oh, it's all and membership kitchen. service. Kitchen, membership yeah. service, kitchen. Yeah. And now there's a food service unit, and um, let's see how. Um, so in other words, unit. it was bigger. <laughs> it's much bigger, and it's uh, many many um, parts, many different parts. And you could smoke there, back then. You could smoke there <laughs> if you had a cigarette. Yeah, if you had a cigarette, you could smoke there. Yeah, outside. Yeah. Well, uh, so so when did it when did it move here? How long ago now? was that? It was about 1990. Okay. 1991. Yeah, yeah. And you came with it. Well, I I transferred myself over to Brookline to the Brookline Social Club. Yeah. Okay. Um, temporary for that year, then I joined the day treatment program on the fourth floor. I think it was fourth floor or fifth floor here, and then Center Club transitioned over here. Then I joined Center Club again. Yeah. In this building. Wow. So, it has been <laughs> it has been a a long time. Yeah, a long time. It went, went by like like it was just a few years. That's the crazy thing about life in general. It goes faster than you think. It, it goes so faster than you you think. I just you know it was just like last year was my twentieth wedding anniversary, and I I swear it just seems like I got married a week ago, and it's been twenty years. It just like goes by oh, wow. so quickly. It's like you slept through it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's. Uh, I wish we could slow it down. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be nice. But uh, it it must be, it must be nice to come back to a place like this for so long and have at least one. I mean, probably there's. You you're not the only one that's been coming here for a long time. No, there's several. So you can come uh, back here and see people that you've known for decades. Yeah, uh, Seneca has several. In fact, they have um, several that joined before me or when I joined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing the continuum. You know, of people that continue to come and spend time here and all that kind of stuff. It just kind of blows me away. Um, Seneca Club's unique because you can get involved in everything. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like how, you know um, the idea that clubhouse members are the sort of the the, the vehicles that, that keep the the engine of everything running. It's it's very unique. It's, it's very unique. Food service or clerical or administrative. Or yeah. Whatever. 
um, receptionists or whatever. It's 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 very unique and um, uh, it's it's just really interesting place to be a part of. And uh, I'm so glad you joined us today, Robert. We we learned a lot. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's uh, I think it's uh, uh, I think you're on a really interesting journey. And you know, I can tell just you know from the meeting you that you've gotten a lot out of it, of both of those things, of uh, taking pictures and and through Buddhism. Makes it look worthwhile. Yeah, for sure. And you're bilingual. You also know French. Uh, <laughs> there you go. When we walked in, uh, Jay was speaking German, and it was it was pretty impressive. Thanks. So, are you um, you and your mom? I, I'm sure I've asked you this before. When you and your mom are just hanging out, are you guys just speaking German with each other? Sometimes, sometimes we speak English. Yeah. Is it hard? I like speaking German because I get a chance to flex that m- muscle. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, my question for the both of you guys is: When you are speaking in German or French, is is your head like translating the words? Uh, as you go along, no, I, or is no. it like a whole separate language that you're just picking from? I just ended up. I just send. I just switch modes, and I can can do it. The harder part is um, when I write it. That's when I have to switch modes because when I write German, it's confusing sometimes to me um, more than it is speaking or reading it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with that, I have to switch modes. But other than that, it just I just do it. Wow. Is the um, same with you? It's, it's like switching modes. But when I first went to French class, we spoke no English. We just spoke French. Oh, really? <laughs> this is the last time we'll spe- I'll speak to you in English. Wow. We'll speak from French from now on. Then he started the French. So, so uh, repeating French. So that's just like... Throwing you in the ocean and seeing if you can swim. Sink or swim. Well, yeah, in totally. Beginning French. Wow, that's but really it interesting. It worked. I um, I don't know. I gotta try something like that someday. All right, uh, are right, we gonna wrap up? Thank you, Jay, for being here. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Robert, for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Excellent, excellent interview. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next Bye, time everyone. on day clubbing. Bye. Bye.